Has anyone noticed that there's lots of road construction happening around this area? Look, I've lived in the Chesapeake area now for about two years and been driving on 64 in the Hampton Roads area almost every single day uh, for the past two years. And whether that's simply coming to the church or meeting with people here, or whether it's going up to our Yorktown campus where all of our campuses come together, at some point I'm driving on 64, and I've noticed there's a lot of construction happening around the place. In fact, one of the exits I typically take to come over here to the church is exit 291B. And that's the one where you get on the Chesapeake Expressway. And I don't know what's been going on over there, but every day it seems like there's something crazy happening on that exit. There's extra cones set up. There's these signs that say, do not enter. And then when you get on it, there's all these bumps. I mean, it feels like a Mario Kart race course, like when you're getting off on that exit. But just the other day, I was driving over here to the church, and I got up on that exit. There was no bump. There was clear lines. The signs were gone. It was smooth. And something happened in that moment, okay? I saw those signs set up that said, new traffic pattern. And there's something about that moment where I saw the lines were smooth, when I saw that sign flashing new traffic pattern, that I thought for a moment, this might be it. This could be a sign, a new change in the pattern could be a sign that all this construction really is going to come to an end. The new pattern even said to me, you know what, before Jesus comes back, all these cones might be gone and 64 might be opened up one day where I can smoothly get to work on time, not to worry about any broken traffic patterns. And of course, I know that's probably not the case, but I had hope in that moment that this change in pattern actually means progress. Church, sometimes, okay, sometimes a change in pattern means progress. Now, sometimes a change in pattern, it can also mean a setback. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of King David and Bathsheba. And we're going to see that for the longest time, and David had some really good patterns, but then there was a change in his pattern that led to a setback. And it didn't just affect him. It affected so many people. Now, as always, we've been going through this series looking at the unlikely family tree, the genealogy of Jesus. Hey, let's not skip the intro. Let's not skip the recap. First, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at this genealogy of Jesus and see where we're going to be today in his line, in this covenant line. So turn to Matthew chapter 1 and starting in verse 1. Matthew writes here. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now again, pause right there for a moment, church. Look, you don't have to write it down this week, but right out the gate, Matthew declares that Jesus is the Christ. Look, that is the name of Jesus, but also his title. Jesus means God saves. And the title Christ isn't a last name. It means anointed one. It means Messiah. And right out the gate, Matthew makes this powerful declaration that this is the fulfillment of prophecy that had been recorded all throughout the Bible. And in fact, remember right here, the gospel of Matthew that we're reading is one of what's called the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But also, I want you to remember this week as we look back at the intro to this story, 
that what we're reading here, man, this is not a fairy tale. This does not begin with once upon a time. What we're looking at here is an eyewitness account. This Matthew really did exist in the first century. He really did walk and talk with Jesus. He really did hear Jesus say these things, teach these things. He really did see Jesus do these incredible miracles. In fact, Matthew met Jesus when he was one of the most notorious sinners in the first century. If you read in the New Testament, oftentimes, especially in the Gospels, you'll hear this classification of sinners. It'll say sinners and tax collectors. Now, you know you are extra jacked up if the Bible gives you your own category of sinfulness and badness. And Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. In fact, based on the response, like all the tax collectors that came around, he's probably a really good one, a very notorious one. But then Matthew, while he was living in his sin, man, Jesus came to him. And he simply looked at him and he said, you follow me. And in that moment, Jesus extended his grace to Matthew, this notorious sinner, and Matthew left everything and he followed Jesus. Man, I've wondered as I keep looking back at the intro, as Matthew is thinking about his own life, living in sin, so far from God, a notorious sinner. And when Jesus came, he said, would you follow me? I wonder if Matthew is looking at all the list of people, but also thinking about how his, in his own life, Jesus gave him his grace, extended his grace and mercy, and even a sinner like Matthew is now in the family of God. And even in the intro, church, this is a reminder that every single person in the genealogy of Jesus shows us the depths of our sin. But man, how much further God's going to go to reach us with his grace. Even in the intro, this is a reminder that you are not too far from the grace of God, no matter who you are. Come on, don't miss the intro to this family tree. So he said the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Today, church, we're going to look at the story of King David and the wife of Uriah, otherwise known as Bathsheba. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And as you're turning there, the 2 Samuel chapter 11, as we're going to look at the story of King David and the wife of Uriah, here in chapter 11, look, there is a shift in the pattern of King David. If you read all the chapters before this in 2 Samuel for King David, man, it is an incredible story. If you read all the chapters before chapter 11 in 2 Samuel, man, this is the chapter where we see King David 
dancing before the Lord. And he was dancing because, man, God had given him all these victories, and he's dancing before the Lord, and he didn't care what anybody else thought. He was dancing and bringing praise and glory to God. Man, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God actually makes this incredible covenant with King David. And he says, because of your heart, because of you, who you are, but also, more importantly than that, for my great name, I'm going to establish this covenant with you where someone is going to sit on your throne forever. In fact, what Matthew just talked about in Matthew chapter 1 that we read where he is the son of David, Jesus Christ, that's a reference to the fulfillment of that prophecy that God was going to establish someone who's going to forever sit on the throne of David. Man, we even see David before chapter 11. He cares for one of Saul's sons named Mephibosheth. And I was really practicing to say that, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth actually had special needs. But David cared for him even though no one else was caring for him. He cared deeply for him. Man, we even see David leave the entire nation to offer these incredible offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. We see David leading the people to victory after victory, success after success. But something changes in chapter 11. There's a change in the pattern. And right before this, in chapter 10, the Israelites are in this incredible battle between the Ammonites and the Syrians. The Syrians are actually joined up with the Ammonites fighting against Israel. And David led his people, he led his soldiers to defeat the Syrians. And the Syrians were like, hey, we see that God is on your side. And they actually surrendered to the Israelites. And now the battle has been raging on with the Ammonites. But there's a pause in the battle because there's actually a change in season. So everyone kind of waits until winter passes, until spring comes back around. Look, church, many of you are familiar with the story that we're going to look at today with David and Bathsheba, just like so many of you are familiar with the Christmas story. But right now, okay, right now in real time, what patterns are you building that are leading to godly progress in your life? And what patterns are you, might, are you building right now that are actually leading to sinful setbacks in your life? I'm going to read all of chapter 11 in 2 Samuel today. And I know I say this all the time, but in your Bibles, digital or analog, man, I really want you to follow along in this passage. Look, there is a weight to this passage that I want everyone to feel this morning. Because there's something that the Lord does not want us to miss today. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to read the entire passage, then I'm going to pray, and then I simply want to ask you three questions this morning. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But, the Bible says, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers 
and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, hey, why don't you go down to your house and wash your feet? And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why don't you go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, will not you just remain here today also and tomorrow? I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made Uriah drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him. And then he will be struck so that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, look, when, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now and then, and now another, now one, and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. Now pause right there for a moment. You see David in this effort to cover up what he did. He's even telling Joab, look, this happens, you know, people get killed. Some people don't get killed. Don't feel bad, Joab, but it actually pleased David 
that Uriah was dead. When the wife of Uriah heard about heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But, the Bible says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? God, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done. Lord, I pray Psalm 139 over our church right now that you would search us. You would reveal any way in us that is wicked or apart from you. God, would you reveal it to us? God, would you reveal it early to us? Lord, sin breaks us, but it is the Savior that saves us. Sin breaks us and tempts us, but you are the good shepherd who guides us. Lord, lead us not into temptation. But Lord, would you deliver us from evil? Lord, would you lead us in the way everlasting? God, use us to point people to your glory, not towards sin, but Lord, to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Church, three questions I want to ask you. Based on this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 11, three questions I want to ask you that you need to ask in any season. The first one is this. Where are you remaining? Real time. Right now, where are you remaining? Look back at verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but, but David remained at Jerusalem. You know, kings would usually go out to war with their people during this time. And Back then, you know, there were, there were no radar, there was no um, technology back then, no satellites, anything like that. So when a bad season like winter came up, usually the battle would actually pause because food supplies became limited, um, roadways may be harder to pass by because of the weather. So usually the battles would actually pause and then they would wait until springtime to resume the battle. So that's why the Bible says, look, it was springtime, the time when kings usually go out to war. So springtime had come, and it was time for them to go back to this battle against the Ammonites to take the land that the Lord had told them to take. And David, for whatever reason, usually had gone out with his soldiers, with his people. And remember, battle after battle, success after success, victory after victory, he had, he had received and been a part of to this point. But something different happened. It says, David remained. Now, we don't know why David remained. Maybe he was tired. He had fought all these battles, and maybe right now in this season, he was like, you know, I'm going to pass this on to somebody else. I'm going to send Joab out instead. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he did not want to fight another battle. Maybe he wanted to enjoy the spring season, see some flowers build up during that time, and wanted to send his soldiers out. 
Maybe he knew that the next episode of The Golden Bachelor was on and he couldn't miss the rose ceremony. But for some reason, he remained. Church, where are you remaining right now? Now, maybe you're remaining in a godly place, which is a good place to be. Maybe you're remaining in a place where you have heard what God's calling you to do. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're even having this humble fear of the Lord, where it leads you to worship and actually following what he's called you to do. Maybe you hear and you also fear the Lord in a healthy way, and that is a good place to remain. Come on, right now, are you remaining in the Lord where you know that he is a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help for you? So whether that's in your singleness or, hey, maybe your empty-nestedness that you're in in the season, maybe it's in your newly-marriedness, maybe it's even in a season of grief or pain. Are you remaining in the Lord? But it's also possible that in this season, You could be remaining in a place of compromise and temptation. Look, David was in a place where he was remaining in the Lord. So even though he's fighting these battles, he knew the Lord was with him. Even when he was fighting these battles, he knew that he could still trust the Lord. God really was a refuge and a strength for him. But in this moment, in this season, he remained in a place of compromise and temptation. Come on, church, right now, where are you remaining? Second question I want to ask you this morning, okay? Another question to ask in any season is, what patterns are you rendering? Especially right now in this Christmas season, what patterns are you rendering in your life? Again, it it seems right here there is a big shift in the patterns of David. In fact, in the rest of the book before this, okay, before this, again, victory after victory, success after success. But after this, man, there is pain and brokenness in his family, in his leadership, in his kingdom. Church side note, okay? Be weary of the patterns of success and victories that you have in your life. And look, yes, we should celebrate victories and success. We should celebrate those seasons, but we should never let our guard down. Because sometimes during seasons of victory and success that we can let our guard down, we can coast, we can even compromise. Come on, sometimes it's the patterns of success that can lead us to those places of compromise or even temptation. Come on, some of you in this room right now who are cowboy fans— You've seen your team have this season of success, but it's led you to a place of compromise and temptation where you're asking for your pastor to apologize to you for the things that he said. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize. They're not going to make it anyway. Look, it's sometimes after you graduate that you walk away from the Lord. Sometimes it's after the promotion that you get that you lower your integrity and you lower your character. 
Sometimes it's after the great season of victory and success where your team actually wins. And it's now in that season where you're letting your guard down and you're noticing that other person on the team that is attractive to you and that is so sweet to you that is not your spouse. Look, patterns of compromise, okay? Patterns of sin. It never just happens in an instant moment. It's never just in a spontaneous moment. There is a pattern that leads to sin. In fact, look back at verse 2 and see if you can see David's pattern. In verse 2 it said, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And then one said to David, look, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was one of his mighty men? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Do you see David's pattern here? Look, David's pattern is this. He saw her, and then he inquired of her. In other words, he stalked her. Lust was growing in his heart. And then from there, he sent for her. And then after that, it says that he lay with her. Late one afternoon, he saw, he sent, he stalked. And then after that, he desired her, and he lay with her. Now, just a a couple of really quick notes about this passage. Because some people have tried to say that Bathsheba was somehow seducing David and putting the blame on her. And scripture is so clear here that the blame is all on David. It says that he is the one that saw, he is the one that sent, He is the one who inquired. He is the one that lay with her. The blame is on David. Now, some people try to say, too, this is a case of rape in the Bible. And the Bible always calls out any type of sexual abuse or rape or sexual sin in a way that it is grotesque to the Lord, it is vile, and it is sinful. In fact, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 13, there's a story in there about about rape that was disgusting to the Lord and vile and condemned according to Scripture. So here, the Bible does not say that this was rape. And I also wanted to say to the person who's sitting in this room or even watching online, if you've experienced any type of sexual abuse, that is not what the Lord wanted or intended for you. He loves you, and he cares about you. And even right now, today, and God wants you to experience his hope and his healing. And that's why, look, if you're a member of this church, like we offer free biblical counseling, maybe we want you to, we want you to experience a hope and healing that comes through Christ. And I know I say this all the time, church, but look, you are not what's been done to you. You are who, you are what has been done for you in Christ. And God wants you to experience freedom 
and hope and healing. In this story, nevertheless, David in his position of power and authority, look, no one should ever use their power and authority that they're in as a tool to cause people to sin or even to abuse them or hurt them. But that is exactly what David did. David let his own personal temptations grow into sin, and it led others to engaging in sin. Man, look how many people David actually even sent out that engaged in this sinful behavior here. It didn't just affect him. It affected so many others. You know, James would actually write in the New Testament about this pattern that leads to sin. He says, let no one, in James chapter 1, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. David's desire grew into sin, and it even brought forth death. It hurt so many people around him. Man, Joab, the messengers, Bathsheba, even a child would die as a result of his sin. Come on, church, right now, what patterns are you rendering? Sin never just happens. But there are are patterns that lead to godly purpose and direction, but there are also patterns that we are building that's that's leaning and leading to sinful setbacks. Look what happens next as a result of this new pattern in David's life at the end of chapter 11 and going into 12. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. And it says, when the morning was over, David sent. I want you to notice how many times in this passage the word sent is used, okay? So David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But... The thing that David had done, it displeased the Lord. And then the Lord sent Nathan to David. It's interesting, like all the sending that David was doing in this moment, in this new pattern in his life, it was leading to more sin and brokenness in him and also around him. But then the Lord, who does love him, sends someone to correct him. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one richer and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, look, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, 
you are the man. In verse 10 it says, the Lord said to him, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin, so you shall not die, but nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Church, David's sinful pattern produced death. Notice that David did repent. He did confess it to the Lord. But even then, it still had serious consequences. A man died, a child died. In fact, this would echo this brokenness in and through his family, in and through his kingdom. Even though his kingdom was united before this moment, it would lead to more brokenness. Because David remained, because he rendered this pattern of crossing the line of sin and brokenness, sin and brokenness developed in his family because he crossed the line. Church, sometimes a good pattern, it does lead to progress. But a sinful pattern can lead to more brokenness in you and around you. I have one more question I want to ask you today. And as I was looking over this story again, and again, I know many of you have heard it so many times before, I kept thinking, man, what if? What if David would have changed the pattern? What if he would have stopped Earlier on in this pattern, remember what his pattern was, that he saw, he stalked her, he inquired of her, he sent for her, he lay with her. What if he would have saw her and stopped right there? What if he would have said, I cannot do this thing. I will not let my thoughts go any further than where they are right now. In fact, maybe in that moment he should have thought, you know what, I need to go find a chariot and a horse right here. I need to go catch up with those other guys because this is the season that kings go to war. What if, I would have, what if he would have done that instead? What if instead of waiting for God to send Nathan to correct him, what if that moment David, instead of sending for Bathsheba, he would have sent for Nathan? I said, Nathan, man, my thoughts are running away. I know what God's called me to do. I know what he wants me to do. What if David would have stopped the pattern right there? And I thought, church, with the Bible, so many times, right? There's stories in here that are prescriptive. When you're thinking about Bible interpretation, there's stories that are prescriptive, where the Bible's literally prescribing what it is that we need to do. Like, take this step, follow this plan, meditate on these things. It's prescribing what we need to do, but it's also times the Bible is describing maybe what we shouldn't do. So we're aware of patterns that are developing so we can turn back toward Christ. So here's my last question I want to ask you today. What if we relocated the line of sin and temptation? Um, I'm going to go ahead and call uh, Corey up here and Pastor Brian. And I have a little illustration I wanted to share with you today. It may go terribly, but bear with me, okay? Because um, so many times, 
when it comes to sin and temptation. So many times, like, there is a line that we all know in church. I really want you to be praying about and thinking about what patterns are you rendering right now? Are there patterns that are actually leading to, leading to godly progress? Or are there patterns that are being built in your life right now that are leading to sinful setbacks? So uh, this morning right here, like this little stanchion right here, kind of represents a line of sin and temptation. And then Corey and Pastor Brian, they represent temptation and sin and the devil. And Pastor Brian is like the devil's assistant this morning, okay? Now, church, again, many of you have been coming here for a while. You know that one of my temptations, man, my struggles is overindulging, um, overeating, uh, being tempted to not only just go up to the line but cross the line. Um, Again, I know that's not what the Lord wants for me because even my body is a temple of the Lord. And overeating is a sin. I know I should not cross that line or overindulge in things that are not good for me and are not beneficial for me. So, so many times, like, this is how we usually do, like, we'll come as close to the line as possible. And we'll see something, and we'll think, man, that looks good, but no, 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 I can't, I can't have that. And so what, what we do, like, we'll get as close to the line as possible, and sometimes I'll like, oh, yeah, I'll just have, I'll just have a little taste right here. I'll just have a little bit. I'll just, I'll just taste a little bit of it. But I'm not going to have it. But sometimes, too, like, we'll end up crossing the line, and we'll end up eating as much as these as possible. Like, we'll cross the line. We'll overindulge in sin and go all the way across. But that is not what the Lord wants for us. Because so many times, like, even though, guys, you do have an enemy that is tempting you and he wants you to cross the line, what if we move the line, okay? I'm going to call Rob and Mark up here as well. Um, So Rob's actually in my small group, and then Mark has been helping me to actually to work out and to think differently about my own patterns as well. And we all actually even work out early in the morning on Tuesday mornings as well. And so what if, what if we actually thought, okay, because everything begins with a thought. What if instead we realized that we could actually confess a little bit earlier, Again, what if David would have been like, you know what, okay, I see what's happening. I'm going to stop right there and say, God, I need your help in that moment. God, I need your help. What if he would have put in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 into practice where the Apostle Paul even wrote, look, there is no temptation that is overtaking you except what is common to everyone else. And let me just say right now, if you are being tempted in this season, the temptation that you're facing, the sin that you're wrestling with, you are not alone in that. But that is not where God wants you to stay. So what if you confess a little bit earlier and say, God, you know what, I, I, I need your help. And what if we move the line a little bit further back? Say, God, I need your help in this moment. God, would you give me wisdom? God, would you correct my past and guide my past? Lord, what, what if, God, would you help me in this moment do that? What if we actually confessed that we needed the Lord's help a little bit earlier? But what if you also got some godly counsel in your life? What if you actually got people, again, around you, and you moved the line even further back? <laughs> what if you actually got godly people around you where you knew that they were going to help call you out on your stuff? You know you can actually go to them. Again, church, what if David, instead of sending for Beth- Bathsheba, instead of sending for Joab to go kill Uriah? What if in that moment he would have sent for Nathan and asked for help? 
What if he moved further back from the line? What if we were to move even further back? Okay? What if we relocate the line so now sin and temptation is even further and further away from us? Where it's harder to reach, it's harder to get to, but what I realize that more than anything I need is Christ. What if you realize that you need Jesus? Church, belief drives behavior. What you actually believe drives your behavior. All right, I'm done with you guys. You guys can get off the stage now. Especially you devil, get out of here, okay? Take that sin with you. Church, what if you confessed earlier when you're feeling tempted? What if you actually had godly counsel in your life that you could call on, that you knew was going to call you out on your stuff? But what if you actually realized, come on, what if you actually believed that more than anything, you need Jesus? David, his pattern was he saw, he inquired, he sent then he lay with her. David sent all these people to engage in sin. So interesting that God sent his son to show us how to conquer sin. In Matthew chapter 4, remember David was on a rooftop looking around. Again, his desire grew, his lust grew. But in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus himself is being tempted, the one that God sent, God sent Jesus, when he himself is being tempted, he is up on a high mountain, higher than any palace or rooftop. And in that moment, listen to what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the brokenness of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and you worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Look, some of you feel like right now that what you need is the news, but all it's doing is causing you to hate others more and more and more. You don't need that. You need Christ. Some of you feel right now you need to keep the job that you're in because the pay is so good, but it's tempting you to neglect your family and relationships and even your relationship with the Lord more and more and more. And yes, you do need a job, but you may not need that job. What you need is Christ. Man, some of you think that you need more and more YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, and you're getting more likes and comments that is building your identity, but you don't need that to build your identity. What you need is Christ. More than anything, church, what we need is Jesus. So as our worship team comes back to the stage, where are you remaining? What patterns are you rendering today? Come on, compromise. Leading to sin is never just in a moment or never just spontaneous, but it's building patterns. But what if we were, church, to actually moved the line? We relocated the line. And where is it in your life right now? You need to move your line further and further back from sin and temptation to realize the only one you really need is Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and church, as I was thinking about closing this message today, I just wanted to ask you those questions again, okay? 
And I want you to think right now, where are you remaining? Are you in a place of compromise and temptation? What patterns are you rendering? Are you in a season right now where your patterns are leading toward a sinful setback? Or the patterns right now in your life leading towards godly progress? What patterns are you rendering right now? And then do you need to move the line? Do you need to take a step further back from temptation? And if that's you in here today, and maybe right now, again, maybe you say yes to that, man, I know right now I'm in a place right now I know I shouldn't be, I'm remaining here. Man, I need the Lord's help to move past this. I need the Lord's help to, to be able to take a step away from the things I'm getting closer to and leaning more and into. It's calling more brokenness in me and around me. Maybe right now you know the patterns that you're building, man, they're taking you further from God. Maybe you just simply know, look, you say, look, I'm the one. Like, I need to move the line. I need to move further away from sin and temptation. If that's you, will you just slip your hand up and then just lower it back down so I can pray for you. Just slip it up and just lower it back down so I can pray for you. Again, I want you to know if you raise your hand up, look, you're not the only person. But Jesus is what you need. And would you look to Christ again this week? Would you surrender again to Christ this week? Would you get some godly counsel in your life again this week? Would you step further from the line? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. And God, I thank you that even in this Christmas season, God, we need to pause and ask the question, where are we to see where we need to go? And I pray, God, right now you would help us to see, Lord, what patterns it is that we're building God, you help us see where we are remaining. Are we in a godly place? Are we in a place where you are a refuge and a strength and an ever-present help? Are we in a place where we're trusting you? Are we letting anxiety and fear and worry conquer us? They're not the Lord of us. You are. Lord, help us to see the patterns that we're building right now. Because, Lord, we want to surrender it all to you. We love you, God. We trust you. In Christ's name.